Hello and welcome to the next in our series of studies in John's Gospel. We read these words, some said he was a good man, others replied, no, he deceives the people. Truth and deception is a really big issue at the moment. There are all kinds of ideas and theories on the internet as to what is going on, what's true, what's untrue, what's fake, what's a conspiracy theory. At the time of recording, America is deeply divided. Around 50% of the American population believe that Donald Trump has been cheated of the election. About 50% of the American population believe that Donald Trump is lying. As I'm recording this, the outcome of that dispute isn't yet resolved. But they can't both be right. Somebody somewhere along the line is not telling the truth. Somebody somewhere is deceiving somebody else. And the church is embroiled in this in America. And taking, uh, Christians are taking both sides, believing on the one hand that uh, the Democratic Party are deceiving, on the other hand, believing that Donald Trump are dece- is deceiving. How on earth do we know what the truth is? The recent Questions of Life, which went up yesterday, Kath and I discussed this in detail, and uh, you can find that wherever you found this podcast or video. But I want to look at how Jesus was accused of being a deceiver and what we can learn from that encounter. So we're in John chapter 7, and Jesus uh, has uh, told his brothers that he's not going to go up to Jerusalem with them uh, and become a public spectacle, a public figure, as they uh, had wanted. He says, my time is not yet. And we looked at that in a study a couple of weeks ago, why he says to them that the time is not yet right for him to be a big public figure. And he explains that, uh, that also the time is not right because he was going to be undoubtedly put to death. And we talked at our last talk about why he was so hated and why people were against him. And so we now move on uh, in this conversation. He says, you go to the festival. This is John 7, verse 8. I'm not yet going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. Notice he says, not yet. He says, I'm not going to go with my brothers where you are going to try and promote me and make me come to everybody's attention. So having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. So he delays. He doesn't make a big spectacle. Remember, there was a time when he was going to enter in a public way, riding on a donkey, and the crowds cheering him as the coming Messiah. But that ended in the crucifixion, and this is not the right time for that. Now, at the festival, verse 11, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? So there was a justification for him going quietly. They were waiting to get him. Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives people. So some saw him as a good man and some that he was deceiving. And we hear that spoken of politicians now, people divided over different leaders, whether in America, whether in our own country, whether it's to do with Brexit. Is, are we being led by good people or have we been deceived? But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. So let's try and explore this. Good man or deceiver. Was believing in Jesus as the giver of eternal life 
a dangerous lie because that's what John has told us about Jesus, that fundamentally he has come that mankind might not perish but know the love of God and have eternal life. And again and again he's talked about believing in Jesus in order to receive eternal life. So was that a dangerous lie or was it the truth? Was he a good man or a deceiver? So we're going to ask ourselves these questions. How did they decide who Jesus was? And therefore, how do we decide who to believe? So let's just dig a little deeper into this alleged deception. At this time, the Jews began to grumble about him. This is from the previous chapter, John 6, and you can find this in our previous studies. Because he said, I am the bread that come down from heaven. So the immediate context, the last thing he has done is declare himself as the provision of God to provide life. Building on the Old Testament story of manna being provided, that he's declaring himself as uniquely from God. And they recognize that this claim to be the bread of life, the one who sustains and gives life, the one who is essential for life, they recognize that this was uh, either an incredibly profound statement or a dangerous lie. Was he deceiving in saying this? Others said that he was a good man. So what had he done that was good that had led some of them to believe that he was good? Well, he'd cared for the suffering. He'd healed that man on uh, the Sabbath and shown compassion. He'd fed the hungry. He'd brought healing and uh, he'd cleansed the temple and sided with the vulnerable. So a lot of them felt he was good because he acted in compassion and care and mercy and gentleness and he looked after people. So how could they decide? Was he spreading a dangerous lie that he was the way, the truth and the life come from God to save mankind? Or was he a good man who come to bring salvation to the world? There are one or two things I want to draw to your attention. The first thing is that Jesus does not use fear. In fact, fear is the weapon of those who are opposed to him. But no one would say anything publicly against or about Jesus for fear of the leaders. And I think it's really important as we look through the, the way Jesus responds to people. He does not manipulate. He doesn't seek to control. He doesn't seek to frighten people or threaten people or use violence or intimidation to get people to follow him. And I think one of the marks of truth is it is peaceful. It is gentle. It is, in a sense, submissive. And he doesn't force himself upon them. And I suspect that was one of the reasons why people believed in him, because they compared his attitude of gentleness with that of the bullying, uh, fearful, inducing nature of the leaders. The second thing I want to draw your attention to is that he would receive no reward, but only suffering for his message. He wasn't in it for popularity. He would end up abandoned on the cross. And he knew that because he tells them that it's not yet the right time. He does not become a king and lauded and given a power and authority. His power and authority is in a different kingdom. He does not become wealthy. 
And so one of the ways I suspect that they perceived him as a good man and not an untruthful man is there was no hidden agenda. There was nothing in it for him. There was only a motive of love and service and care for others. He wasn't trying to make his life better. He wasn't trying to use others for his own ends. He was coming purely to serve mankind, to seek and to save the lost. Thirdly, he spoke words of hope, not fear. These words from the previous chapter that caused so much anger. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. These are not the words that make people scared. These are the words that bring life and hope. And lastly, I suspect the reason that they chose him, not only because he brought life and hope, not fear, was that his, ma- his lifestyle was one of compassion. He says to them later in the next study we'll look at, he says, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? He is a man of compassion and his teaching is love. It is not violence. It is not superiority. It is not about how to be better than others. The Jews were amazed and asked, um, in the next verses we'll read these uh, next time, the Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? What was it that he was teaching? My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So I think that they were able to make the choice that he was good because he had no agenda for himself, because he came without using fear and he spoke words of hope and he acted in compassion and he taught love. And how do we, 2,000 years later, decide whether Jesus was truthful or not? How do we decide whether we can trust and believe his words? For us, is his claim to be the way, the truth, and the life a deception or truth? I suggest a number of things. Firstly, that we can trust in the historicity of the cross and therefore the resurrection. We know there was a man called Jesus. We know he lived. We know he was crucified. All of that is beyond dispute as an historical record. But the first followers of Jesus' life was transformed and their explanation for it was that he'd risen from the dead. And we are talking about a man 2,000 years later who died without power, without aggression, without money, without armies, without fear. And the only explanation is the explanation that the first followers gave that he'd risen from the dead. So for me... One of the key reasons of believing in Jesus is the historicity of the cross and resurrection. And linked to that is the indestructibility of his word. In other words, that we are still celebrating the words of this man 2,000 years later, that they have stood the test of time. If they were deceit, if they were untrue, they would have been exposed by now. People would have ridiculed them and found them to be unreliable. But generations, millions of people have put their lives in, and trust in the words of Jesus. And he was not deceiving us. And thirdly, it is the nobility of this message, the glory of gentleness, the wonder of sacrificial love. Greater love is no man than this, than they lay down their life 
for their friends. This teaching is so beautiful. It's so powerful. It's not the teaching of a deceiver. It's not about how to get rich quickly. It's not about how to be powerful. It's not about how to get other people to do what you want. It's not all the trappings of what I think deception is. It's the teaching of service and self-sacrifice. And that's not a deception. And lastly, we have the experience of his spirit indwelling us, filling us from Pentecost. And that inner witness that says these are truthful things. And many of us have known and experienced this. But Jesus says, watch out that you are not deceived. In other words, Jesus is warning those who would follow him that there will come people who will deceive and in a sense, the division that we see in America is part of the, uh, the expectation, sadly, that God has. That Christians will be deceived, whether it's on the right or the left, whether it's pro or anti-Brexit, that there will be deception. He says, watch out that you are not deceived. This is Luke chapter 21 and verse 8. Many will come in my name, people who appear to be followers of Jesus who claim to be disciples and say, I am he. The time is near. Do not follow them. Very often we see people who use historical events as uh, telling us that Jesus is about to return. And Jesus continues, when you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. Do not be frightened. Do not make decisions and vote and choose leaders on the basis of fear. These things will happen first, but the end will not come right away. It's not the return of Christ. Do not follow people who claim that it is. And he said, nation will rise against nation. This is Luke 21, verse 10. And kingdom against kingdom. And then look at this. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences. We might call that pandemics in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. And this is all linked to not the return of Christ, but the season before and linked to deceiving. And people will use the famines, the earthquakes and the pestilences to deceive. As if this is the first time it's ever happened. As if this is the worst that's ever happened. No, these are things that have happened throughout history since Jesus said these words. These words weren't simply words for 2020. As if the last 2,000 years of people reading these words, they were saying, what pestilences, what famines, what earthquakes? No, this is how life is. And we are not to be deceived. So how do we avoid being deceived in times of fear? I want to suggest things drawn out of what we talked about in why Jesus was trustworthy. We need to resist intimidation and manipulation. Where people use force, where people use fear, where people coerce and seek to control and manipulate, it's because their ideas are not true because truth doesn't need an army or a gun or the fear of rejection or violence. So we must see as deceit all ideologies that promote violence. 
And linked to that, we look for hope, not fear. One of the things I talked about in Questions of Life is the way in which very often people believe uh, on, a, on, a, on a sort of um, one of two reasons. Either they believe what they hope to be true or they believe what they're frightened not to think is true. And both of those things are damaging. We need to try and seek the truth. And where we believe things because we dare not believe something else, because we're frightened of that rumor on the internet, we're frightened of what that uh, thing might be doing to us, whether it's a, a, a health scare or a political scare. I think we need to move away from fear and to try to live each day in the life that Jesus brings, which is to be free from fear. And not to be controlled and guided and guarded by fear. But to live in the light of the hope of Jesus, the Messiah come among us. That is not to just believe what we want to believe. But to base it in the reality and the historicity of Jesus. And his words that are not of fear, but are of life. And then, thirdly, we look for actions and motives of love, mercy, and service rather than of power and of self grand, uh, making oneself look grand and big. And deceit often comes with a lifestyle of, that's a sham, that does not have personal integrity in relationships and faithfulness in family life. So where we see corruption or disloyalty or unfaithfulness or greed, then we recognize the signs of deceit. And even if they do what we want, even if they do what we think is right, we may be being deceived. And church history is littered with people who deceived God's people. They said the right things, but it was abusive and corrupt. And Jesus says, watch out that you might not be deceived. So our questions for reflection. What and who are the big personalities that we admire? Whose words we don't doubt? And what fears influence our views? What is it that we daren't dismiss because we're frightened? Where do I find myself disagreeing with others and finding that other people see it different to me and it's heated? Because in all of these three areas, we need to check ourselves for whether we're being deceived whether we are deceived by the personality, whether we are deceived by fear, or whether we are deceived by the weight of argument. So looking at the motives, lifestyle and use of fear, am I sure I am not deceived by others? Because my understanding is that if I'm seeking to follow Jesus, I will be tempted by the evil one to be deceived. And I need to be open and watchful for that. And I need to be prepared to change my mind and to recognize the areas of my life 
where someone has led me astray. So let's ask ourselves with honesty and with soul searching, is there a risk I might have been deceived by a politician, by an internet idea, by a church leader, by a friend? And then secondly, building on that question, how can I pray and help those who I feel are deceived? Perhaps they're deceived in rejecting Jesus. Perhaps they believe they are following Jesus, but the way they are doing it is through a way that's not how Jesus would have it be. What can we do? Who can we pray for? Arguing makes perhaps won't work and may be counterproductive. Perhaps it's a question of prayerfully, gently loving and demonstrating hope, not fear. Grace, not intimidation. A prayer from Ray Simpson to end. Sift me, O Lord. Bring all that is false in me into the light and take it away. Give me strength to be true in all I say and think and do. Looking at the motives, lifestyle and use of fear, am I sure I am not deceived by others? How can I pray and help those I feel are deceived? If you found this helpful, let me draw your attention to the questions of life about fake news that's come out at the same time. May God lead us in truth for his glory. Amen.